Hi, everybody. Today we discuss a thing some guys hide, as well as why being honest is not always enough to rebuild trust. So let's start. Mm -hmm. If you don't mind, I kind of want to riff on something that Jade said a little bit ago, because it, it was such an interesting insight. And I hope this doesn't feel too like sort of tangential from what we've been discussing. I don't think it will, because it truly is about connection. And it truly is in the context of my work about trust, and about this idea of moving closer together through honesty. And I don't mean not lying. I mean, disclosing truth. Um, because that's something that I've heard so many predominantly women say to me, Matt, I don't feel like my husband's honest with me. And I say, you mean he lies? And she says, no. It's like he thinks things and he feels things, but he doesn't give me access to them. Yeah. And then boom. And I might've even said that before in like a previous conversation, but the really interesting part of this that one of my clients, male clients, wives taught me was that he would frequently, she'd want to know, talking about this notion of like face-to-face time, she'd want to hear how things were going. Like in his day, what happened today? What did you do? And his response to that was to give like an account of like, like what, here's what happened. You know, here's what happened at 930. And then this happened at 11. And it's like, like a news reporter saying like, here is the chain of events that occurred. And he was so frustrated that it was never what she wanted, that she was always so frustrated with him and dissatisfied. And the obviousness of this idea never occurred to me. And she brought it home and she said, no, I don't want to know about situation X at 9.30 and situation Y at 11 a.m. I want to know that when situation X happened at 9.30, this is how I thought and felt about it. When situation Y happened at 11 a.m., this is how I thought and felt about it. And getting really specific, this particular client had a complicated relationship with his father dating back to childhood. Mm -hmm. And this guy was a business owner. And sometimes dad, once in a blue moon, would show up out of nowhere at this place of business. And so that was very specifically the story that I remember. Oh, my father showed up today out of nowhere while we were trying to get work done. And she didn't, she was infinitely less interested in the fact that his father had shown up than what happened to him afterwards. How, how did, essentially, how did you feel about it? And so just for anybody that might be listening to this, that feels a smidge emotionally repressed, that doesn't, doesn't feel comfortable talking, at least consider that idea. That if you're having a little bit of trouble connecting with your romantic partner when you're having these face-to-face moments, it, it's not so much what happened today, but it's what happened to you today, like in here and in here, because that's what gives our partner access to that true information that they, they want to know that we're not telling them. And I don't think it's because we're trying to hide it necessarily. We ain't subconsciously be trying to, but I think it's not necessarily obvious to us or natural to us to just go ahead and vulnerably disclose things that we thought and things that we felt when this really cool thing or this really like terrible thing happened to us at yeah. again, nine 30 in the morning or 11 AM. So anyway, I'm, I'm curious, like what your take is on that idea. It's not reporting what happened so much as reporting what our experience with the things that happened were that allows two people to connect on like an emotionally relevant and healthy level. Yeah. Um, so in the, in the article that, that you have of mine on your website, um, <clears throat> one of the foundational things of rebuilding trust, we use the word openness. And <clears throat> so some of this comes from uh, a book 
that is called His Needs, Her Needs. I can't remember the name of the author, but he talks about not just honesty, but openness. In my experience, men have a much more limited emotional vocabulary than women. Angry can do. I know what that one looks like, feels like, because it's a go-to. It covers up all the other stuff that I really don't have a name for. I can be happy, right? I won, I won the poker hand. I won the whole pot. You know, I, I can be elated. Um, I can be sad. And in men's world, there, there are very designated times where sadness is perfectly acceptable. And most of the rest of the time, sadness is uh, open invitation to be harassed or abused. Akin to weakness. Right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, your, your, um, your dog dies, you can be sad. Your father dies, you can be sad. Your team loses, you can be sad. You have a bad day at work or you don't, you know, you don't attain something that you were hoping for. That sadness is more like, eh, we'll let you know whether or not you can really be sad about that is kind of the feeling that guys get from other, you know, it's like this, I'm not going to show a weakness kind of feeling, right? Yes. People ask me all the time about like the light switch moment and the light switch moment was ironically reading books that did the thing that I think when we're vulnerable, we try to do. Ironically, the authors weren't doing it, but the authors were sharing stories where I recognized the story where it's like, oh my God, like that could have been me. And there's so much, I think, I don't know what the word is, but there's, I've described it as, as the eureka moment I needed. It is literally what flipped the switch for me that strangers who work with married couples could describe so specifically what I had experienced and presumably what my wife had experienced in our marriage, which was now defunct at this point. And I'm reading this book about humans that I've never met and probably never will meet both the authors and the participants of them. And I'm like, this could have been us. It could have been millions. And that was so illuminating for me. That meant it meant that I wasn't alone. It meant that my wife and I weren't freaks. It meant that we were not beyond saving, if you will, that it wasn't this like lottery. It was that we fell into really common patterns and our ignorance and blindness to those common patterns is the thing that prevented us from overcoming them. And it's like, if I can find a way to like understand those patterns and, and can I contribute positively to helping other people not follow like the same mistakes I did? Cause I believe what they simply need is to be aware of it. I think the majority of humans who are married and love each other will do work. They just have to be aware of this pr- like presumed danger. Right. And I think a lot of men, right, kind of like obliviously, blindly are not aware that things outside of their field of view are harming their relationship partner and or themselves. Yeah. And if we can make them aware of it, a lot of good can come of it. So that's right. yeah. that's what my work's based in. And I think, I mean, Jay, I mean, again, you guys are the guys you are the people that gave me the word blind spot as, as a concept in relationships for things that are, that are dangerous or unhealthy that are occurring. And very decent, well-intentioned people are unaware of just how dangerous and threatening these seemingly benign things are. 
Right. And I really, really appreciate it because I think it's such a critical concept in the framework of good people can still be bad relationship partners, can still contribute to harm. And right, my, all, all of the things I talk about and write about are based on that idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To me, so many people come into relationship with, it's not that they don't have tools, but the tools they have were kind of passed along. So, you know, it's like, well, you can hammer and nail in with a rock. It's not the best way to do it, but you can do it. And you can use an old butter knife as a screwdriver. <clears throat> Again, not always the best tool, but it, it will eventually get the job done. And so then it's like, for that man, and what Lori did a lot for me, one of the most huge thing Lori does for me is to tell me where her frailties and weaknesses and and all of those are. And so she's introducing me to the tool of vulnerability and helping me to see it in a new way because I, I open my toolbox and I see the tools that I'm used to. And when she, you know, your dad's into race cars, he rolls out the big you know, craftsman tool set that there's 9,000 different sockets in there. And, you know, and you're like, oh, that's what a tool set looks like. And that's kind of sometimes the way she, she shows up with me. And I know that not all of her tools are perfect either, but it's, it's a shift of, oh, there's a better way to drive a nail. You know, there's a better way to do this. And so setting an example, which I, is, I think, what you were communicating, and that's why the three of us have the, the vocation that we do, which is to help people, to introduce them to new tools, to give them a different way of saying, I get what you want, how you want to show up, you know, your, um, your stated value and how you're living it out and, and why they're not, you know, lining up the way you want them to is just you're, you're maybe approaching it um, in a way that that's not working. And that's, that's our value is to be able to, to point out to somebody, you got, you got a little something on your shirt or, you know, because they can't see it for themselves. Thanks for joining us today. Next time, we're going to talk about one thing some guys resent and how they can rebuild trust instead. So we'll see you then.